This is LifeSpeak, a podcast about well-being, mental health, and building resilience through knowledge. Here's Marianne Weisenthal. I'm speaking today with clinical psychologist Dr. Ashley Younghens Rutilonis. Dr. Ashley has worn a number of hats in the mental health space. She's worked as an assistant professor of psychology at the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine. She's managed mental health crisis evaluations in emergency departments across the United States Midwest. She's also the women's division chair for the Minnesota Psychology Association. In addition to her clinical work, Ashley is an executive coach and organizational consultant who specializes in working with high-performing women who are juggling work-life balance, role transitions, and ADHD symptoms. There's a lot to talk to Dr. Ashley about, but today we're going to focus on ADHD in women. Ashley joins me today from St. Paul, Minnesota. Welcome to the LifeSpeak podcast. Thank you, Erin. It's so exciting to be here with you and to have a chance to talk about uh, ADHD and women today. So everywhere I turn lately, I am reading about ADHD in adults, or I'm hearing from a friend or a colleague who's saying, I'm getting tested because I think I might be ADHD, or I have just been diagnosed as having ADHD. And these are women in their 40s and 50s. And so many people seem to think they have ADHD lately. Is it really become that common? It has you know, become better known. It has been something that has been impacting girls and women for a very long time, but it wasn't until the 1990s that we even really believed that girls could have ADHD even though it had been looked at in boys for actually a few hundred years before that. We are really behind the curve in terms of picking up on when girls and women have ADHD. Now that we're getting better at it, then as we're doing that more, it's going to seem more common. What exactly is ADHD? ADHD, it stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Really what it is, it's called a neurodevelopmental disorder. That means that when somebody was born, that there was a difference in their brain right from the beginning and that it impacts their development over time and then continues to impact them throughout the lifespan. For ADHD, it can really look a number of different ways. And, you know, if you know one person with ADHD, you know one person with ADHD. Um, because the, the symptoms are so varied, it can look differently, but it's rooted in the brain right from birth. I've heard you say there are over 116,000 combinations of symptoms with a diagnosis. Is that correct? Yes. Isn't that an astronomical number? It makes me think we're all at ADHD. (laughs) You are not the first person to say that by any means. Yeah, there are just so many different ways um, that it can look from person to person. So what are some of the maybe, if if it's even possible to say common symptoms? When we think about diagnosing ADHD, there are set symptoms that somebody needs to have to be diagnosed with ADHD. Um, There are symptoms of hyperactivity, there are symptoms of inattention, there are symptoms of um, impulsivity, 
And that large number that you threw out is really that uh, there are so many ways that those symptoms can come together. And so when we think about more common or less common symptoms, that one is just rather, you know, what are we noticing more? What are we noticing less? But the symptoms are going to be there across the board. So if you're somebody who is concerned that you might have ADHD, what's the first step to a diagnosis? Because I know there's a lot of people doing online quizzes, and I, I don't think that's probably what you would recommend. So where does someone start? I love that you just asked that question and that you brought up online quizzes. There are online quizzes about everything. I feel like, uh, you know, and actually there was a conversation and then an article came from it on the Today Show in, in October of this year. And they said, you know, in essence, like, do you have ADHD or are you just a mom? Online tests blur the answer. <laughs> It was it's one of those headlines that when I when I saw it on my feed, I thought, oh, I have to read that. They were talking about, and I so strongly agree with, is that you know this isn't this isn't a black and white where everything that you see online or all of these quizzes or articles or you know Instagram things that you see are bad or wrong. There are some of those that are actually going to provide women good information. We want information about ADHD and mental health to be accessible. It's one of the reasons I'm excited that you and I are having this conversation. It's let's get it out there. Let's talk about it um, more often. The problem is when the social media posts or when the online quizzes say, we can give you a diagnosis. We will tell you if you do have ADHD or if you don't. Anything that's promising to say we will be able to diagnose you or tell you anything concrete, that's where it gets very problematic because ADHD, it's a complex set of symptoms and it's set in a context. So we always want to know what's going on in that woman's life. What was their childhood like? How's it impacting them? And I've yet to come about an online quiz that can really pull all that together. So where do you start? You know, typically when you have a patient coming to you with symptoms, what has been their background to date? Why are they coming to see you? Is it because they've suspected that they might, because somebody has told them that they do, that they just think they might have ADHD? There is not one type of woman or one story. I am always amazed at you know, the women that I have the opportunity to meet and work with who come at different points in their life. You know, I assess women in their 20s all the way through their 60s. There is typically an indication or they've thought for some time, I wonder if I have ADHD. They usually don't voice it to others because there is stigma related to mental health still, unfortunately. But when I'm meeting with them, they're saying, you know, I've, I've seen these things throughout my lifetime. They tell me stories about what that may have looked like for them in high school or in college. And they tell me stories about the impact on their work. A lot of these women are perfectionistic. <laughs> they are high achieving. They are you know, those the staff members or those leaders who are going to put in extra hours to make sure that they're doing their best work. But they will say to me, you know, something, something has changed. 
Maybe they got a promotion at work and they're feeling like they're falling behind or they've recently had, uh, had a child. And so it's that sort of lifetime of I wonder plus some sort of event or change that they experience. And it's enough to push them to reach out to say, it's time to find out more about myself. And once there is a diagnosis, what are the next steps after that? I'd love your question. And oftentimes it is about what next, you know, what the next steps are. That diagnostic process includes a lot of that woman going through her history. And you know, that word that I mentioned before, context. It is much of them thinking through and working with a provider to think through what is going on in my life right now. And how are these symptoms having an impact on my life? You really look at what is the, what we would call functional impairment with the diagnosis. So not just, is it a bit of an annoyance to you, but is it really creating a problem for you in your life? Those things are discovered along the way in an assessment. So by the time you reach diagnosis, it should not be, here's your diagnosis, now go take a pill. Uh, and we can, can certainly talk about medication. We could talk about that for, for a long time. And it is very helpful for a lot of people. But the next steps need to be, here's what you said wasn't going well in your life. Here's what you want to change. Now let's really work at targeting those specific areas. You're not targeting the areas that are challenging. It can feel absolutely overwhelming, even knowing where do I start? What do I do next? So up to you know the provider, to the coach, to whomever is doing the diagnosing to really help that woman say, here's my next thing that I'm going to do. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between the hyperactivity aspect of ADHD and the inattention? Because I've read that in women, it often presents as inattention and in men and boys as hyperactivity. I don't know if that's actually true, but that's what I've heard. You are, you are correct you know, that uh, there, there can be overlap, certainly. But when we say ADHD, you, know, you just mentioned two, we call two different subtypes or two different presentations. There's a third that is actually the most common that combines the hyperactivity and the inattention. But overall, that combination is what you're going to see most. But for women, as you pointed out, we are more likely to show symptoms of inattention and to be diagnosed with that subtype. What that looks like, and this is why, you know, girls and women were missed for so very long, what that looks like is a lot more internalizing. There are symptoms that other people aren't going to notice, they can't see. If you can picture a kiddo who is running around their first grade classroom, jumping from chair to chair, being disruptive, being loud, that teacher early on, they're probably going to say something. <laughs> Somebody is noticing that there is this very active, um, typically boy uh, in the classroom. And you know, if that, um, if, if one moves along, they're able to see a psychologist, they're diagnosed, their treatment's going to start early, they're easy to spot. But with girls, they are more likely to be, we could call them daydreamers. They are more likely to be quiet, introspective, to be internally distracted by thoughts, 
rather than externally distracted by noise and other things. It can be mistaken for anxiety or it can be mistaken for a girl who is just great in the classroom, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't distract other people. As that girl grows up with those symptoms of inattention, it's going to look different when they're starting to have trouble with things like time awareness and time management and things like not being able to remain focused on, say, retirement planning, on meeting deadlines. Um, and so there are these internal ways brain is having difficulty paying attention, sustaining attention, and that's hard for others to see. How does it present differently for women at different stages of life? When girls are young, elementary school, and typically ADHD taught in childhood for this hyperactive type, but for girls, it's often missed because parents are going to think, and this is an anxious kiddo, they are, you know, flighty, they're daydreaming. But when they're young, those are the things that you're going to see. You may see difficulty organizing their room. And as they become teenagers, that really comes out. When they start driving, their cars might be very messy. Their backpacks might be messy. They may lose assignments, even if you know they completed them at home. And then in those teenage years, that's when you really see that their self-esteem is taking a hit related to ADHD. You see that they you know, are losing motivation or confidence when academics get challenging. And might see a lot of big emotions, more so than you would even expect in a teenager, right? We know that that is a period of the lifespan where those things can happen, but even larger, a lot of tearfulness, irritability, some mental restlessness in them in terms of they may be jumping between activities quickly. And then when they go to college, you might see women who are very smart, who did well when they had more structure. Uh, perhaps provided by their parents or by their, you know, their primary school system. But now they're in college where there's a lot more autonomy and needing to use what we call executive functioning skills, skills that help you get through your day-to-day. And so you might see girls with ADHD who are, again, smart, but failing out of college or starting to make some really risky decisions because of those difficulties with planning and reasoning and thinking through consequences. And then when women reach adulthood, we can do some really amazing things. <laughs> so we've been talking about a lot of the downsides here. We can do amazing things as women, but you're going to see ADHD show up in a different way because our responsibilities have changed. So at work, you, know, you may see difficulties with timeliness or missing details because that inattention is going to have women really jumping onto the next thing quickly. We might be making small mistakes. And you might see at home that financial management is challenging, that just household management, remembering to do things that otherwise people feel are basic, responding to invitation for their kids' parties or getting the laundry done. And then even in self-care during adulthood, where it's a struggle for a lot of women to find time to do everything, uh, women with ADHD might struggle with even things that other people take for granted remembering to shower, brush their teeth, take a break to eat. Uh, it's really this all-encompassing brain function. Again, it shows up different as we age because life changes as we age. 
I've been hearing about a lot of friends who have been diagnosed in their sort of perimenopause period of life. And I'm wondering why at that particular stage. It is a stage of hormonal change. And we're learning more as we go about what happens during hormonal changes for women and their ADHD, um, certainly during their first menstrual cycle during, you know, month to month during pregnancy. And then you just mentioned, you know, perimenopause and menopause and heard that great interview with Bed Thorogood where you're talking about breaking the taboo of menopause. And she was just recently diagnosed with ADHD. She was. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. She's she actually did a, a TED talk about it. Okay. About a year ago after I interviewed her. Yeah. And it was a big aha moment for her where she really, she talks about it in her talk where she really, she looked back at her child raising years and how she, she always felt like she was like this really disorganized parent. And that when she finally got this diagnosis in in, around, you know, menopause and postmenopause, it was like this, this, just this light went off, you know, or on and, and it was a big aha moment for her. And I was diagnosed at 40 with ADHD and that inattentive subtype that we mentioned where it was also, you know, an aha moment. How was that diagnosis for you? Was it sort of a confirmation of something that you had already wondered about or was it a surprise? Given my profession and uh, my, my area of specialty, it was not a surprise. It was something that I had thought about for quite some time. Um, But I do remember when I started to put the pieces together and started to look back at some of my patterns as I dug more into this specialty. That's what people were saying at all my teachers were saying at my parent teacher conferences. She's a great student, but her work is, her work's always late or, you know, this or that is messy. And then I look at my, you know, my grad school experience and how lack of structure there impacted me. And For me, it was a lot of internalizing, and we see this especially in women, where one of those less talked about, and it's not a symptom, but it's connected, the less talk about piece of guilt and depression or anxiety, because we don't know it's ADHD. And we think, why can't I get these things done? Why can't I be a better grad student? Or why can't I be a better parent? Uh, Why can't I be better at a job that I know I can do? So I had seen some patterns for myself over time and worked with some incredible women. And, you know, I always think that there are three key pieces in all this. It's, you know, be informed about yourself, get support and advocate. And as I'm telling that to other women, I have that other dialogue in my head of, well, then why don't you go do this for yourself? (laughs) And so it was a confirmation process, but still, when I was sitting with somebody who said, yes, now you've been diagnosed with, with ADHD and attentive subtype, I just had tears. Even though, you know, I knew it in my gut, even though this is my job, just have that validation from somebody telling you to your face. It's, it's a different experience. And honestly, it's one of, you know, one of my favorite parts of what I get to do which is working with women, listening to their stories, 
if they do have a diagnosis of ADHD, being able to share that and then saying, so what does this mean in your life? Do you think it's made you a better psychologist? Yes. I did not hesitate there, did I? No. <laughs> did not hesitate. 100% yes. Yes, I you know, I do. I went through, you know, the process on on the other side of the table if you will, you know, doing this for over a decade. I went through that so many times and going through it on my side really added a different perspective. Actually, let me give you an example. The person I was working with to get my diagnosis sent me forms to fill out in the mail. And there were these questionnaires, you know, you have to answer a bunch of, um, is this you? Is this not you? How often is this you? And so I got all of those things done. And then I set those questionnaires aside and got back to day-to-day things. And I realized a couple months later, oh, here are those questionnaires. I, I didn't, I didn't get those sent in, not because I wasn't doing anything in the interim, but because my plate is so very full. And I reached out, talked to her about it. And she said, okay, well, just go ahead and you know, send those in now that you found them. Do you think I sent them in right away? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> and, and so I found them again a bit later. And you know, I say, be informed, get support and, and advocate. And I said, I'm just having such a hard time. I have so much going on. Could I scan these and email them to you rather than mailing them to you? And she said, oh, sure, go ahead and do that. So scanned them, got them to her that day, and the process moved on. I tell that story because I really wanted to go through this process. And I work with women who want to go through this. And even when we're getting assessed, we have the same brains. We have the same amount on our plates as, you know, as moms and as business owners. And so you can be really invested in something and still hit roadblocks. So a lot of what I do with women is to figure out, so then how can you make all of this work for you? If I didn't ask about emailing, I wouldn't have known that it was an option. So now I try to look for options when I'm working with women of how can I modify what we're doing? to fit best with women who have ADHD or just neurotypical. And and there are usually ways to figure something else out. So one of my very closest friends is in the process of trying to confirm a diagnosis. And I asked her, I said I was speaking with you, and I said, is there anything you would like me to ask Ashley? And she said, oh, can you please ask her, how can I thrive? How can I thrive with ADHD? I love that. I'm going to say, you know, each, each woman with ADHD is more than her diagnosis. It is a lens that we all look through and you're so much more than being diagnosed with ADHD than the symptoms of ADHD. That is my first response is to always remember that it's just a part of who somebody is and that I'm sure she has incredible ways that she can thrive already. And then we're just tapping into what is already there. She can, and not knowing your friend, but the first thing that she can do is make sure that she is really informed about what ADHD is. And I don't just mean it as you know a, a title. I mean, digging in and 
doing the research. That can mean reading books about women with ADHD. That can mean going to good sources like a podcast like this, places online. Chad, for example, is a wonderful resource for people to really find out more because I think that knowledge about yourself always help women thrive. Understand what's going on in your brain would be a first step. Second step would be she can get support. That's a complex word um, in terms of how it actually plays out in life. But that I mean, looking at where is it that she is struggling? If it is say, in a parenting realm, looking at what are you good at? What are you doing well in this area? And where do you need help? So oftentimes for women with ADHD, example, we'll struggle with something called time awareness and then time blindness. It's not time management, it's much more foundational than that. So looking at, you know, am I even aware of the time that goes by through the day? And is that why I'm always late getting my kids to practice? Or is that why I'm late showing up to a meeting because I just don't know where the time goes? And then once you have that awareness of where you're struggling, figure out how you can address it. Do you have a partner who can help with some more of those time-sensitive things for the family? And that partner is just going to take on something that that is very important. And you're going to lean into your strengths. Maybe it's play or creativity or being able to be spontaneous because those are wonderful strengths with ADHD. So you do those activities. So looking at what support do I have? Where am I struggling? How do I match those appropriately together? Or if, you know, it's how do I thrive at work with ADHD? Same approach, really break down where are my struggles? What can I do to pinpoint them and get help? For some women, that means getting a coach that you don't feel like you have to do it on your own. You mentioned right in the beginning, I do some coaching as well as clinical practice. And that coaching focus is very goal-oriented work with you know um, women individually as well as larger organizations. Um, I work with the O'Connor Professional Group and we provide executive coaching that is one-on-one with people. And we can sit down and say, what are your goals? How do we get there together? So they don't have to do it on their own. And then you know, thriving can come from taking stock of where do you do your best work? And are there things that you can maneuver so that you're spending more time in your best work and getting support in the other areas. And I would imagine that if you're doing that, it's building confidence as well. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It's building confidence. And it's also reminding us that you don't have to be great at everything. You know, I mean, whether you have ADHD or not, we're all going to have strengths in areas that are challenging and you don't have to turn all the challenges into strengths. That's overwhelming. I mean, a lot of people have this tendency, so I don't want to just say it's women, but as a woman, I can certainly relate to it to feel like there's so many things that we're trying to do. And if you're not, um, I don't want to say perfecting, but if you're not successful at every one of those threads that you're holding on to, that somehow you're just a complete failure. So I like how you say, you know, focus on the things that you do well and find a way to do more of that because there is a tendency for us to feel somehow that, you know, oh, we're not doing well with our time management, let's just say, on this particular day. So the whole day is 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 gone. But 
there may be a lot of other ways where we have succeeded, but it's hard to recognize those when when we've got this one thing that maybe we're not as good at. Uh, and we get that messaging as women, and it was you know it was needed for some time. Of I can be great in all of these areas. I can be a wonderful mom, and you know, wonderful at work, and I can be perfect at all of these things, and perfect friend, and perfect partner, and you know, as we were historically told that we either weren't welcome um, in different spaces or, you know, that we weren't fit for those spaces or that we were imposters in those spaces. There was a shift to, no, that's not true. I can do all of these things. Just watch me. At what we're learning is that we can't because the consequence is just exhaustion and burnout. What we've ended up doing is putting so much pressure on ourselves to be exceptional at all of these things that, as you said, you know, if there is time management that doesn't go well one morning, we then internalize that and say, well, I'm a failure, uh, or I can't do the rest of this day, or I'm not good at this role, rather than being able to isolate that and say, time management did not go well this morning, or even just to say, I'm not great at time management. It's not my strength, but that's okay because I have all of these other strengths. Yeah, let's talk about some of those strengths because ADHD has, for lack of a better way of putting it, a bad rap. (laughs) Time management, productivity, you know, lack of focus. These are things we hear so much about, but you know, people with ADHD have these incredible strengths. So can you Talk about some of those. Yes. I think that we have a tendency to do that in general, to focus on what doesn't go well or or on those negatives. Uh, I appreciate you saying, what are the strengths? Because there are some, and, and it's hard. And people with ADHD have can have these really amazing perspectives. Um, so you know, one of the things that is grossly misunderstood um, is the idea of hyper-focus in ADHD. It's a word that I feel like is, is thrown out a lot. I don't know if you've heard that one. And it's an idea of being able to really dig into something. And I stress the really dig in. It's not just that little bit of interest. It's somebody can get completely engrossed in, in what they're doing. And that can be an incredible strength. Think about a context where you're in an organization and you, you know, have a topic that comes up and you are going to be best suited as an organization if you can know that topic inside and out, whether it's related to a pitch or whether it is related to a new startup you're putting together or a new client that you know you want to take on. If you can become very knowledgeable about this, it's going to put your organization in a much better place. Person with ADHD who has hyperfocus, they're going to be phenomenal for that role. You may have a, you know, a team member who does not have ADHD who's able to do a little bit of work. They get you a summary, that's it. But if you can tap into someone with ADHD who's truly interested in it, they can do a deep dive and bring insight into that project and make connections that other people couldn't. 
that's an important strength to look at. Another one is just what we call divergent thinking versus convergent thinking. In other words, it means being able to think outside the box. And we see from research that women with ADHD can approach tasks with this creative variety of ideas and ultimately with more creativity and originality. Because what they're doing is they are able to see ideas and connect things in a way that other people typically cannot. If you get a team together, you say, let's do some brainstorming on this offering that we're going to have. And usually what's going to happen is that a team will come up with slight variations on things you've already thought of. (laughs) A little bit of novelty, but it may be quite similar to other things that have been brought up in the past. That woman with ADHD can come up with fresh ideas and unique approaches because her brain is taking all of these concepts and finding that common ground and then making it unique. Isn't that a cool strength? It's it's an incredible strength. It it, it makes me wonder and hope that I have someone like that on my team. Yes. And we know that diverse teams do better. Right. Than, than teams that all have you know, the, the same things that they're bringing to the table. And when we think about creating diverse teams, this is one of those ways that you can bring somebody onto your team who is adding a unique perspective. Now, there are other right thinking types that you also want to have on that team so that you can have this beautifully diverse and well-rounded group at you want neurodiverse staff and neurodiverse you know, women um, in leadership positions. Um, you want to retain those people, right, to attract those people. And so this is a wonderful person to have on your team. How would somebody who is neurodiverse, what kind of roles should they be looking for? So that is a, <laughs> that is such a complex question in terms of people who are neurodiverse. And, and the statement that I'm about to say is, is so true for everybody, just exceptionally true for people who are neurodiverse. They do well when they are working with things that really spark their interest, where there is something that is you know, creating motivation when there is something that is, you know, allowing for hyper-focus. And all people do better and they're more engaged with their work when there is connection, even more so for somebody who has ADHD. That's the, you know, it depends part of that question. Someone who has ADHD should look at what really drives them and then use that to guide them. For example, I love my work. I absolutely love my work. I'm working with women. Um, I love coaching um, executive women. I love working with women on identifying their strengths, research, you know, um, the science behind all of this and having that inform my practice. And so I thrive doing the work that I've chosen to do. If somebody else was in this position and they didn't have that love and they had ADHD, it would be more challenging for them. Why has it been important for you to focus your clinical work with women? You know, I I actually started in pediatrics and uh, 
and I, you know, seem like a, a large jump. It is and it isn't. I started in an area of, of psychology, pediatric psychology, that really specifically focuses on health of children, chronic conditions. You know, I did a lot of practice in hospital systems and, and clinics, and it was all in that health context, which always hopefully pulls in the family because you're working with kiddos. And what I found over time as I was in that area of practice um, is that I liked my work with children. I did. But I loved my work with their moms. And usually it was the moms, not always, but usually it was the moms that were there for visits or that were there in hospital rooms. And when I let myself really acknowledge I'd done all of this, you know, all of this work to be pediatrics focused, but my skills were strongest. My interests were strongest when I was sitting down and working with the moms. I mean, it was a, you know, light bulb uh, moment for me, but it, 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 it took that, where do I really thrive? Where am I interested? Where am I most driven? And then once I had honed in that I loved on work, you know, working with women, um, it was at a point in my life where I was also reading a lot of female authored books because I had realized most of the books on my shelves were written by men, um, even the books about women. So I was digging into learning more about women, our stories and our biology and my personal life. And those two things married really beautifully. The skill that I'd built in working with moms, working with women, and just that personal drive. Frankly, once I became a mom, uh, it became much more a part of my identity to focus on my role as a woman and my role as a mother. In your work uh, with women with ADHD and obviously, you know, your own personal experience with that, what keeps you feeling hopeful and optimistic? The people that I, you know, that I have the opportunity to work with, they're incredible. I worked with this woman who's in her, uh, she's in her mid-50s. And she came to me for um, an assessment and she was very successful business owner, you know, well-known in her field. And uh, you know, what she said is that during COVID, there was a significant shift in what her organization was doing in people that she could keep on her team and therefore the support that she had in the operations of her business. And she is this just amazing creative and she started to struggle. And we were able to work together. First of all, we diagnosed her with ADHD. And secondly, we were able to, you know, build some skills, some executive functioning skills. We said, who else are you going to hire to complement your strengths and the areas where you struggle? How can you make some changes into, you know, some structures that you're working with and in, in your organization, really tapping into her strengths, giving her support where she needed it. We then worked together in some coaching for about a year after her assessment. And she recently wrapped up coaching with me. Where we got to a point and said, you know, she's doing great. School is never for everything to be perfect, but for her to feel confident um, in you know, doing what she was doing. And that last time that we met together, she said was, I get to enjoy having the brain that I have and run with it. And this is a woman who's in her 50s and who's been very successful. And the purpose of us working together 
wasn't to change who she is. Fabulous, exactly how she is. It was for her to figure out, you know, what are my strengths? How is this related to ADHD? How can I dig into those? And just to say, here's the brain I have. So that increased awareness. It, it wasn't just changing her day to day. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna document differently, or I'm gonna use a different kind of spreadsheet or planner. It was being able to tap into this is who I am and taking some some pride and just rooting in that. When I get to do that with women, whether it's in you know assessment or executive coaching or otherwise, it is just a beautiful process to watch them go through. And that gives me so much hope. Dr. Ashley Younghens Rujalonis has been my guest on the Life Speak podcast today. Ashley, thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you for having me. And thank you for giving this topic space on your podcast. It's been a joy to be here. For more about this episode, go to lifespeak.com slash podcast.